Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. How you doing, Marty? I'm doing all right. I'm coming to terms with the fact that I have cited before that our child appears to have had a Greek god as a sperm donor. (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, the other day I put her down for her nap and she was so sweet and we'd taken almost everything out of the room so that she could not climb upon it and dismantle furniture. Mm. And she was so sweet and loving. And I said, now go to sleep, honey. I love you. And she said, I love you too. And then she said, don't take that box. <laughs> sure enough, she used a diaper box to just perform diabolical feats of destruction. I sent you guys a text at one point that just said, it's like a crow, it can use tools. <laughs> How are you given all that? Oh, gosh, you know, it's it's fun. It's all right, you know. Hmm. It's, it's equal parts diabolical and heavenly. It is. She really, well, that's the other part of having a demigod. Well, quite, yeah, yeah. Destructive quite. but delightful. Yeah, so what are you trying to figure out? Um, I'm trying to figure out, uh, it happened at dinner yesterday, and it happens at dinner many days, <laughs> why the three of us, you, Karen, and myself, cannot stop completing each other's sentences incorrectly. Actually, you don't do it. Karen and I do it. Mm-hmm. So Rose Glad said, I didn't have to be the one to point that out. Uh, well, see, I finished that sentence for you. <laughs> so Ro will say, you know... I really hate it when people give you, and Karen and I are like, yeah, a blank look. No, a pickle. No, a homeless hamster. No, that is not what I'm talking about. And then she'll go, ah. So anyway, and I was thinking about how hard it is to, and Karen's like body check another shopper in the aisles. I know. And I'm like, cry on cue. I totally get it. Get rid of ground hornets. Whatever. It's never what you're thinking about. Not even remotely. No, it's like it's a fascinating glimpse into your your various psychologies. Though, <laughs> because I'm just always like, not only no, not only 
why are you trying to finish that sentence? What <laughs> scares you about me taking a moment? Um, and then, but then just the, really? You thought that was where I was going <laughs> after all these years? You thought I was going to the Hornets? <laughs> no. no. Maybe it's an American thing. Yeah. I, I'd, be, I'd be willing to bet. We could put out a slogan, Americans finishing other countries' sentences for two and a half centuries. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. So, so anyway, seriously, like deeply, what are you trying to figure out? <sighs> um, what am I trying to figure out? It's, it's Lila related because it always is always these is. days because that's the only thing that's happening in my life. Um, I think this is like one of those from the mouths of babes kind of stories, but um, she naps at school. <laughs> and you know this, Marty. Sometimes. sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't, actually, which, you know, our poor, her poor teachers. But um, so one day I went to pick her up from school and the teacher told me this story about during her nap where she – so they have to put <laughs> – they have to put our child in a special room oh to nap God. because, like, in a hallway because <laughs> otherwise she gets too excited to settle down. She starts, like, naming all the other children out loud. I don't know. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they put her in her special little dark place. <laughs> and one of the teachers has to stay in there with her. I mean, really, we do have a problem a problem child, God love her. But, um, and she's there and she's asleep. She's finally fallen asleep, but she's managed to get herself tangled up in her own blanket. Mm. And Miss Lindsay says, so all of a sudden she starts tugging on the blanket that's become entangled around her legs and becomes furious without waking up that she can't. And she starts yelling, <laughs> I was using that <laughs> to herself. In her sleep. In her sleep. Like, who is trying to take this from me? I, I was using this. I, child of a God. Uh, and I just thought, I was like driving home thinking, is that a metaphor for like everything that it is to, I don't know, to be human? Or uh, like, is it uh, a metaphor for culture? Like the, you've already got it but you're so angry about it being taken away mm. or is it like the the insatiability of of the human ego or something you yeah. know it's like yeah. why do we think everyone's trying to screw us <laughs> oh i thought that was just i thought that was just common knowledge <laughs> i have to say though i think she gets the blanket tangling thing from you not from <gasps> zeus yeah how dare because i will tell the peeps right now <laughs> about the burrito yes <laughs> When Ro goes to sleep, she begins, as if conscious, to collect the blankets around her into a nice little packet so that mm. she can roll over and roll <laughs> over and make a Roe burrito out of the blankets, no matter who's trying to share them. So I think this one just comes legit through you. I love I love that about myself, even though I'm not awake when it happens, because it's so it seems so cozy for me. I'm like really happy for my sleeping self that I'm all burritoed up. Less so, less good for you, I guess. But um, it's charming. But you know what it reminds me of, Marty? What? You know that feeling of just being like encased in a small, warm, cozy space where nothing's gonna hurt you. Tortilla, yeah, yeah. Reminds me a little bit 
Yes. Hashtag van life. Oh, damn. In your little van, all snuggled up. A van is like a burrito. I said to Ro the other day, I don't love travel as much as you do. I just want to be like hunkered in a small space that's familiar. And she said, van. And I was like, a van travels. (laughs) Isn't that the genius of it? It's both. You're at home while you're traveling. Mm. No. No, it doesn't work that way for the rest of us. It's just hashtag van people. But you know I what? respect that about you. You're not invited in my you're freaking just, you're, van you're, anyway. I just see you rolling through life, wrapped in a burrito, wrapped inside a van, wrapped mm-hmm. inside the garage of our house. Mm-hmm. Just layers upon layers upon layers of rowy. Num, nummy, num. Oh, very sweet. Yeah, that'll do. It'll do. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favor to ask. You might not know this, but... Ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. So what is our topic for this day? Because I know we have a Be Wild Files up for us. You do. We have a Be Wild Files, which frequent listeners will know is the kind of bewildered episode where we hear what listeners just like you are trying to figure out. Mm. And if you want to know how to do this, you can go to rowanmangan.com slash bewildered. I have written out some very complicated no no the process may be complicated the instructions are very clear the bit long do you remember the time you tried to explain to adam that winter was coming and you're like the days will grow shorter there will be more moisture and cold in the air it's okay we can we can add different blankets and there's always the possibility of a van and he was like what and i said it's getting cold but it's okay. <laughs> oh, You're so wonderful to give the people such detailed instructions. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. I do try. Uh, and today we <laughs> we have a wonderful question from listener Laurel that we hmm. will now listen to. Dear Martha and Ro, I'm trying to figure out how to lean into a long creative project. In my case, finishing my first literary nonfiction book. 
I'm struggling to draw boundaries around this depth of focus in a world full of distractions. You speak a lot on the podcast about the kind of creativity that is light, fun, and non-goal-oriented, but I'm interested in your perspective on ushering large creative life works into the world, those ones that are more like a marriage than a fling. How do you sustain the grit, the pitfalls, the mistakes, the breakthroughs, and the thousands of hours of quality attention that this kind of magic making asks for, all without letting life get too serious? Wow, what an amazing topic. I know it lands with you. It certainly yeah. lands with me. We basically just get excited when, when people say things and we're like, right? <laughs> right? Right? People are out there figuring out what we want to hear and then they send it as their question and we are gratified. <laughs> See, I'm pronoid, not paranoid. I think everybody's out to, to help me. Yeah. Anyway, we both have tons of experience with this issue and it's so mm-hmm. well put by Laurel. Yeah. And like what's what's your what's your kind of vibe with this stuff, Marty? Well, there's always books and articles. Books and articles have always been the like the core of my work. And I have to like, oh, I've had to do it. I've had to keep writing long projects or doing the weekly column for Oprah magazine. So it was regular. Monthly, not weekly. Yeah. Through hell and high water. And I have to say, the same thing goes for this podcast, which I deeply love, but something, Mercury is always freaking retrograde. Oh, right. Right? And we just have to keep, We get, you, had, you got sick, we're on different continents, we've got, everything goes wrong and we have to keep plugging. Yeah. It's sort of interesting because in a way, not to discount your wealth of experience, but it does strike me that the books and articles have real world deadlines. Yes. And I wonder if that's a little bit different than Mm. having to make those kind of commitments and accessing that kind of creativity from a place where what you're working on is something that no one is waiting for (laughs) or asking for, which is something that I relate to. And, you know, I've been, as as you know, you poor thing, because you have to hear about it all the time. (laughs) You know, I... I've been going through quite a time of uh, having to grow towards acceptance of the realities of having a toddler. Just one. I know some people don't stop at one, but if you are in that position of maybe not stopping at one, stop. Just stop. (laughs) Just stop. It's a lot. One is 100% more than zero. (laughs) All right. And I love I love my daughter so much and I really couldn't have known how different yep um and you know right right on exactly what Laurel's saying too because the the parenting piece much actually much like a lot of work work nine to five work or paying bills kind of work um it's kind of in that Here's the problem, deal with it. Here's the problem, deal with it. Boom, yeah. boom, put out a fire. Boom, boom, turn on the light. And then what Laurel's talking about is this is trying to access a state that is so different. And it yeah. and so it's not just that you're having to move between states. Well, no, no, it's not just that you're trying to you have to find the time to do it, but then right, you also right, right. have to move between these um sort of instant gratification yeah. state to this one which is very different. Yeah, it it requires intense focus over a 
pretty long period. And they've shown in studies that if a writer gets interrupted, even very briefly, here, take this call. Okay, order different dog food. Um, that it takes 20 minutes to get back into the process. Right. So, but I love the way you've adapted to this. Well, yeah. I mean, recently after, you know, just the the push and the disappointment and the self-recrimination and all of that and just going round and round, that merry-go-round for a while, I just, I really did get to a point with various writing projects where I just had to, now, I had to surrender, which is not what I'm telling you to do, Laurel. But um, I had this this sort of thing where I was like, I think I've reached the moment of surrender. Mm. And, you know, I'd been trying to do a rewrite uh, to a deadline that was soft <laughs> um, of my novel. And um, I I thought, okay, this is the moment of surrender. And then... I thought, hang on, but it's just the surrender of the moment. <laughs> so I sort mm. of inverted the expression in my head so that I was just saying, I'm not surrendering the project and I'm not surrendering my commitment to it, but I am surrendering to this moment because mm. it's it's not going to happen in this moment. Yeah, and that that little couplet, the moment of surrender is the surrender of the moment. That was, I, I found that really, really helpful, even retrospectively, like going back and saying, yeah, all those moments I was afraid because I'd surrendered, I would never go back to the project. I'd never complete it. Um, no, it was the moment I was surrendering to. And I watched you do this the other day because Lila is choosing not to nap quite frequently. Yeah. At a particularly busy time in our lives. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you came in after trying for like two hours to get her to stop dismantling furniture and um, she'd taken the stuffing out of an easy chair and you came in and you, with wild eyes and you said, if she doesn't nap, we are so screwed. Except I didn't and say screwed, I said a different kind screwed. of It was a different word. word. Mm-hmm. And then like an hour later, because I was on a phone call or something, I came out and you were like, and you were completely serene. And she's like, you were like, I've accepted she's going to stop napping. We just have to adapt. It was, I think in the olden days, it was harder for you to surrender a moment because you had so little, so so much less need to do it when you're not with a baby or a toddler. Mm. You are getting really, really good at surrendering the moment in the moment when surrender is what the only thing to do. And I wonder, you know, how much of the ability to let go can come full circle to the ability to what's the, what's the opposite like hold Persist. on in the time not not so yeah. much hold on but uh, it, you know to to be in the flow of that great that that deep work there's a flow yeah. to it yeah. and i think when you try to hang on too tight to the sides it'll just rip you apart and when you surrender the moment in the moment when surrender is the only thing to do you don't feel the river still flowing with you but you're free and it takes you yeah. yeah yeah that's lovely that's beautiful well we like to sort of take a little glimpse into what the culture says about um at whatever topic we're we're talking about so how would you characterize that in in this sort of in this case in laurel's case just always go to what a robot or a factory would do and you'll get to what yeah. our culture says you should do 
Every day should be the same. Have a good attitude. Get up early. Go for a run at four in the morning. Then put in three hours before the kids are awake. You won't even know you've done it and you'll have your novel finished. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's funny how how often, you know, when the culture tells us how simple it is to just do things that there's often an assumption of privilege that you can find underneath yeah. it sort of lurking there and reminds me of a tweet that I saw recently. Uh, so good. Um, it, it starts, just had a call with someone on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and came away really impressed. He shared with me how he made VP at a top tech company before age 30. And they've got a list. Number one, 4.30am wake up. Number two, cold showers. Number three, gratitude journal. Number four, meditate. Number five, dad owns the tech company. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because it's uh that's that's what pri- that's what privilege is yes um is is thinking that all you need to do is yeah the 4 a.m and yeah and i think that there's so much rah rah in the messaging yeah that um that there's always some some sort of subtext yeah. there that's about um about some sort of privilege that's invisible yeah i've i've read a few books like that recently people send me books all the time and so many of them are like it's just we're on a beautiful level playing field here and let's just go out and you are exactly like me and we're gonna have the same stresses and the same success because we're gonna you know when the tough when the going gets tough the tough get going and it's all the same for us and if i'm more successful it's just that i work harder yeah i just work harder and I mean, I remember at Harvard people telling me that the day a woman has a baby is just the same for her, for the father and the mother. And I was like, ah, is that really feminism? Because that's what they said it was, but. So below that cheerful chipper playing field that looks so level, it's like the pyramid of capitalism and patriarchy and all the isms. That, that, that pyramid is like poking up through the center of the field, which collapses mm. onto it. We do not yeah. live on a level playing field. And I'm sorry for the uh, for going off onto this rant. As you know, it is my won't to go off on yeah. a rant about that. But I think, it, I think it means a lot when you're talking about someone sustaining a project over time. I agree with you. And, and look, to be completely transparent, don't send us a question if you're not willing for us to turn it into our own soapbox and reflect on it through our own <laughs> prism but if you agree with us we will validate the shit out of you absolutely non-stop it's delightful <laughs> isn't it aren't we all having fun um i think there's so i think there's also there and again this isn't what laurel asked <laughs> but it's but still it's, worth saying it's I have fun no idea what hey. you're gonna say go ahead um so there's like there's a time economy factor and mm. and there's people who have more disposable time and that's mm. a kind of privilege. I think we might have even talked about this before, but that's the type of privilege that like all privilege can be really invisible to you. And it's um, it's amazing how precious it is and amazing how when it's taken away, it is suddenly so impossible. Yeah. I had my mum come and stay recently and she's so wonderful and supportive and really wanted to um, give me a chance to work on this, this rewrite that I was still um innocently attempting at that point and um so she would she would take lila we, we wouldn't we would spend some time in new york and she would take lila off being a good nana and they'd go off to the playground 
And she'd take her out for a good 90 minutes or two hours. Like she gave me a really good chunk of time. But it's like what you were saying about the 20 minutes and everything. And it's like I got a little done, but it's, it's you know, the kind of state that Laurel is talking about accessing, that kind of creativity, is the kind where you have hours upon hours yeah. and um, you can sort of live in your work a mm-hmm. bit and mm-hmm. it was funny because mum is a great writer and herself and and spends a lot of time working on her work and then she got home to Australia and she suddenly had all these social things she's like this is really weird I haven't really been able to work on it I was like that's what I was saying thank you sometimes it's hard all right. And and you really can't imagine it when you're in the privileged position. Like when I was in my 20s trying to write my first book, which was a memoir in the end, but it was a novel at the time. It took me nine years of writing and rewriting before and, and nobody wanted it. Nobody cared. And I was in a writing group and I had a friend who was very creative and very prolific and had been born into a very wealthy family, Mm. very wealthy. So she would talk about, this is how I'm getting this done. And I've started writing essays and I've written a book of poetry. And I would sit there and I never did say to her, but you've never cleaned a closet. You've Mm. never rented a car. You've never had to take a bus. Like I was taking a sick baby to the emergency room in the middle of the night on the subway in the middle of a Boston winter because that's what we had to deal with. And I never said it to her. And I actually hold uh, quite, apparently I'm still quite bitter. <laughs> it, does, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got that. I see that now. It's so anyway, funny yeah. and so, it's so sad in a way. I feel so sad for you because um, of the, in my life, my 20s, and I think a lot of people who, who don't, make babies and do a, a really intense Harvard thing. <laughs> I had a Mormon 20s in the middle Mormon of the Mormon 20s, thing. yeah, non-Mormon 20s. You know, there's so much, I don't know, I think about like Dylan and everything. I, I, I heard Bob Dylan interviewed recently and he was, he was saying, I don't know if he's still Christian or what, but someone was saying, God, those lyrics that you wrote were amazing. Not, you know, like the, talking specifically about his heyday. He was like, yeah, I mean, I must have, I must have had help, right? Because, <laughs> and, and the guy's like, what do you mean? And, and Dylan just starts quoting himself and he's like, couldn't have really written that, could I? And I just wonder how much of the absolute raw genius of youth is connected to not, I mean, it's a very 20th century kind of privilege as well, right? But Not being on a subway, taking a one-year-old to a, an emergency room? Yeah, I don't think Dylan was doing that. I sincerely doubt that he did. And I'm I'm actually developing quite a streak of bitterness now that you speak of it. I'm sorry. Everyone I grew up with was having babies by the time they were 20. Mm. Do you know the definition of a Mormon wedding? How, you, how do you know a Mormon wedding? The bride isn't pregnant, but her mother is. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. All right. So anyway. All right. So anyway. We, so but the, we go astray. We do. We do. The culture will say to us, you can do long-term projects if you just have the moxie. The right? moxie! Um, but the fact remains that there's different sorts of stuff that we have to do and, and different tasks that um, take different brain states and correspondingly different amounts of time. And yeah. some things are just like finite and you can check them off. And But then some are this 
are part of that river you were talking about yeah. that, and they're slow moving and they're they're deep yeah and it's not the same <laughs> it's not the same and it goes on for a long time to the extent that life not only can interfere but always interferes if you're really in the deep slow river of creativity that is moving literally moving mountains life is going to interfere and laurel is absolutely right like it's hard it takes grit and it takes mm. well we'll find out what it takes but it really really is if you don't make a commitment to connecting with that river it will not happen by itself because life will interfere maybe it's because the culture is so chick, 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 yeah you know always pushing always pushing always pushing so we can't segment our deep creativity into the half hour chunks that the culture and our lives realistically mm -hmm. um will allow us but the culture will continuously um cut it, it wants to cut things into tiny, tiny pieces, mm. which is the get up at 4.30, then meditate, then gratitude journal, then by 5.15 you're on the treadmill. And um, so I think where culture wants to make things tiny, maybe the rebellion that we can enact for on behalf of our natures is to spread, to mm. zoom out, to mm. recognize different units of measurement than these these mm. tiny segments and what i inevitably come back to is the notion of seasons mm. right right it's right. it's it's a lovely kind it, it to me thinking about seasons i love the way americans talk about last spring or last summer naturally we don't do that in australia hmm. that i'm aware of um and it's it sort of to me speaks to a time when things were a little slower mm. and we could look at things with a gentler kind of um, focus. Right. And I think um, all people who lived close to the land in whatever part of the world, they knew the rainy season, they knew the dry season, they knew the cold season, and they were intimate with the seasons. And so doing anything logically would have had seasons. And that really lends itself to the slow, deep river of creativity, because if you're going to do something long term, it has to be something you care about enough to see it through the winter, to let it go fallow and mm. the ground to, you know, replenish itself and and then still have the joy and energy when spring comes to let, you know, to fuel the growth of those little shoots and make them go up into huge towering plants. So, and and just recognizing too, like it seems to me that even if it's winter, yeah, that the field is is fallow, but we're like, I don't know, we're mending our nets, we're repairing things, we're doing things inside in front of the fire, mm. we're replenishing ourselves, we're you know, yeah, busy not freezing to death and stuff, but. Um, so there's there's little tasks that we're taking care of that right. are also within the flow of those seasons. Oh, I love that. And it, and they come back round. They do. And it, it actually made me think, I was thinking about this and how it's worked in my own life. And I thought, you know, there are some diseases, not to, not to, you know, harsh anyone's mellow, but there are some diseases that are called relapsing remitting. Yeah, it's a and, type of um, multiple sclerosis. It's yeah, relapsing yeah. Remitting. And so, I mean, there's a positive side to that too. Maybe we can have, what I thought of is my passions 
are sometimes they just go away. They just remit, they go away, but then they come back up again in a very seasonal way. So my writing has been that way through the years and, but people are paying me to do that. I also do art and that just keeps coming around and it'll, it'll completely disappear for months and then it will come on like gangbusters. And maybe it's just that if you let something have its own pace, it will find its season and it will, it will carry you forward. Yeah. Beautiful. I actually think also that um, if you have the winter when you're not working on something, you grow as a person. And then when you go back to a deep project, you have more to put into it. So That's I read true. there's a novelist whose early work I love. I'm not going to say who it is because this is a bad story. <laughs> um, but he wrote a bunch of novels that I really liked. And then he finally was wealthy enough and, and had the freedom to just get a house in a beautiful area where no one would bother him. And every day people came in and did his cleaning in silence and left meals for him on the table. He didn't have anything to do but write. And he produced a novel that was so horrific <laughs> that the one, the one review I read of it said, how bad is this book? Let us count. It's like, it was stunningly bad. And I think it's because he wasn't living. He was just writing. Wow. So there. You should be yeah. thrilled. So there's, there, there is a, a happy medium between when life happens too much <laughs> for your creativity right. and when life doesn't happen enough for your creativity, yeah. for sure. And the balance think, is rare, I think, for them to be perfectly balanced. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think for me, the big thing is that the surrender of the moment has mm. to be accompanied by a trust in yeah. the recurrence of of the passion or the or the cons the passion's consistency and then the recurrence of opportunity yeah right and it just it, if what you're doing is meant to be this is where you you talk about trusting mm. in that moment of surrender i actually will go a step further and go to faith because I've seen my trust be merited. You know, I've found the time mm. after years of not being able to, t to even touch what I was loving and what I hoped to create, it came back. Hmm. And, and speaking of touch, I talk about this all the time, like we're going traveling in a bit and I can't work on the book I'm supposed to be working on, but what I will do is I'll go in and read a bit of it, maybe, edit a few sentences so that it and I have this living connection. Mm. And it's, it's this, the sense that it's alive for me. It may be Ooh. under the winter soil, but it's alive. And then it's when germinating. I, when I do get the time, and you will, Laurel, you will, then it really is hard work. It's not like it's just, oh, la, la, la. You have to have the tenacity of a pit bull, a crazy mm. mad pit bull mm. um, when you do get the time. So it's not easy, but the opportunity does come up. Have faith in that and keep just gently connecting with the living thing that is your project. That's beautiful. I love the idea of seeing it as a living thing. It was a but... river before, but I love, I love a mixed metaphor. That's actually the, the deep project I'm working on. <laughs> so here's my question, Martha Beck. Mm, mm. Here's what I need you to solve mm. for me today. So one of the things that happens with me is that I, I don't want to ask you and Karen to do more 
to take on more with Lila mm. because that's what it would usually take for me to take more time for my creativity. Sure. But then recently we had like a whole lot of just logistical stuff to get through and I that had to be got through and there was um, issues around Lila and and – Anyway, I'm trying not to be specific, but it's just sounding weird. But anyway, um, <laughs> I found that because I felt like if I didn't do this logistical stuff really well, bad stuff would happen. Not terrible, but, you know, it wouldn't be good. It was much easier for me to kind of claim that space and say, listen, I'm going to need a bit of extra support with Lila and was able to stake my claim there. Ah. So, And I was like, I wonder how I can... Um, how I can, is there a way beyond the trusting and the, and the faith that it'll come back to view my creativity in a similar way where I, when no one's asking for it hmm. and no one's paying me to do it? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, how, it how does. Do I... But it, it also really speaks to your socialization because a lot mm -hmm. of people, there are people who are raised in creative families who would stake a claim for their creativity. No problem. But you have psychological issues with, oh, hey, a mother, <laughs> sorry, you do. A mother <laughs> should be taken care of. And we're all mothers, right? Like, but you were, are the birth mother. So you should be taking care of this child instead of staking a claim for your creativity. You stake a claim for work. You stake a claim for logistics. And you're shy about staking a claim for your creativity. So anyone out there who feels that way, just notice that if you shifted your value system to like, I totally deserve to have a creative life, maybe you'd stake a claim a little harder, faster. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, but to, to your point about feeling like something bad will happen if you don't do something and that's why you <laughs> dare to stake the claim. I realize how stupid that sounds. No, it's not stupid at all because I was thinking, but you should be motivated by love. Positive reinforcement is 51 times more effective than negative reinforcement. No, actually, the, time, the thing is um, fear is a great motivator. Having a contract where I have to turn in a book is a great motivator. And I was reading a quote from Audre Lorde, the great, uh, feminist author the other day and she said you will you will speak your truth and some people will love it and some people will hate it and you'll gradually get used to the haters and then she says you will end up at, at the end of your life knowing that the only thing more horrible and terrifying this is not a direct quote it's a paraphrase the only thing more horrible and terrifying than speaking your truth or living your true life is not speaking it so think about going through your life with this recurring remitting passion that keeps coming and pulling you, pulling you, you know, with that siren song, come be with me, come create me. And realize that if you get to your end, the end of your life and you haven't done that, that be afraid of that. Mm, wow. And let that make you just say, I'm sticking a clean, buddy. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Mari. Thank you, Rowie. Should we go off to our logistics and our long-term passionate <laughs> projects now? Let's do it. Let's do it. And All let's right. just trust in the turning of the seasons. And, of course, stay, stay wild. wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes and chat with other fans of the show. 
Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.